It was around uh, 3 o'clock this last Monday afternoon that the NASA Mars lander made a historic landing on the Martian surface. It's called InSight. Its mission is to study the interior of the Mars planet, uh, sending probes down underneath the surface of Mars to um, make uh, scientific investigations. It's another one of those amazing accomplishments of uh, engineering genius. Uh, and when that probe, the InSight, landed, uh, cheers erupted at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, and rightly so. This was something like almost 10 years in uh, development at a cost of almost a billion dollars, a billion dollars. And it's supposed to last about two years. That's a pretty big price tag. Um, a minor computer glitch would have, uh, of course, sent the probe crashing into the Mars uh, surface. So everything had to be perfectly calculated. Everything had to run smoothly. All the computer programming had to um, take place precisely. Um, to survive this landing, InSight had to autonomously go through dozens of these pre-programmed um, uh, computer things. And, and it was going 12,000 miles uh, into the surface and, and had to slow. So uh, supersonic parachutes erupted and then thrusters to land that thing safely onto Mars. And it did. It was perfect landing. And uh, that two-year mission has begun. Now, as incredible as the Mars mission of InSight is, it pales in significance to what took place 2,000 years ago, the incarnation, the landing of, of Jesus Christ on this earth, the coming of Jesus to this world. Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At, a, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son. John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh, and he, he landed among us. He dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Into our world he came. Into the smack dab, into the middle of our mess, he landed. Now, we're studying the book of Isaiah, and when we began this study back in February, I had mentioned that there were two promises that God made in the early pages of Genesis, that if we understood those two promises, we can understand the whole flow of, uh, of the Bible from there, um, that point on. Um, the first promise was recorded there in Genesis chapter 2, and the Lord commanded the man, and he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so God's first promise was, Eat of the forbidden fruit, and I'll guarantee you, I promise you, death will come. And of course, we know Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. They disobeyed God in rebellion and disobedience, and death came. But there's a second promise that's found just a, a page later in Genesis chapter 3. And when God is giving out the judgments because of sin, he told the serpent, I will, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, now here's the promise, 
He will crush your head. Third person, singular, masculine pronoun. Someone, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God speaks here to Satan and promises his demise because of a coming he. And this is the first uh, prophecy about an inkling of God's plan to redeem his fallen, now sinful uh, creation that is in the thralls of death. And it was going to be through somebody from the seed of the woman, a coming he, this head crusher, would reclaim God's fallen creation. Wonderful promise, the first promise in Scripture about this promised redemptive plan. But when will he come, and who is the he? Of course, as Scripture unfolds, we get more insights. Like, for instance, later in Genesis chapter 12, and again in Genesis chapter 22, God makes a promise to Abraham. And he tells Abraham that, indeed, I will greatly bless you, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, somebody is going to come from you. Some, someone that will come from your Abrahamic lineage. A great nation I'm going to rise up, but there is going to be a particular seed that because of that particular person, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. A coming head crusher, a coming world blesser. And as we go on and keep reading through the book of Genesis, we get a little bit more insights, like for instance in chapter 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. Some of our translations We'll use that Hebrew word Shiloh. Until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Somebody is going to come. Somebody is going to redeem this fallen world. Somebody is going to be this promised deliverer, a powerful head crusher, a world blesser, a ruler, a king. And so the Old Testament continues, and we get a little bit more pieces of information as King David arose on the scene, and, and God promises King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. A head crusher, a world blesser, a, a great king from now the lineage of David, the great coming deliverer was coming from that tribe of Judah and the family of David. But as the Old Testament continues, you would think that, did God misspeak here? Did, was he really truthful when he said this coming one is going to, could have come and delivered? Because you keep reading the Old Testament and it's one mess after another. It's sin and rebellion and turmoil and judgment and the centuries rolled on. It is as if this coming Savior got that theme, that concept got lost in the saga of sinful Israel as the Old Testament unfolds. And then, in the 8th century B.C., a prophet arose, Isaiah, the book we're studying. 
And this renewed vigor, this renewed promise of this coming one comes out, I mean, it, it, in, it's front and center in what Isaiah writes. That's why Isaiah is called the fifth gospel. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's Isaiah. His name, the name Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. There's something of a, of a Savior that is going to come, and Isaiah speaks about it like no other prophet spoke about it. God reiterates this promise, the Savior's coming. And as we study the book of Isaiah, there's all sorts of different references to it, but one of his favorite terms that he wants to um, enlighten us with in terms of who this deliverer is, who this Savior is, one of his favorite terms is that word servant. Servant. Now, the word servant is used in the Old Testament, I don't know, over 800 times, like servant or slave. But it's Isaiah alone that uses this term as a technical term for this coming deliverer, the servant. Um, in the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, and we're in that section as we study the book of Isaiah, the last 27 chapters, chapters 40 through 66, he refers to the servant 31 times. And just a little tidbit of information, the first 14 chapters, 40 through 53, he always uses the term, he uses it 14 times in that section, um, or, or 20, 20 times in that section. And it's always referred to in the singular. And then when you get to the last 13 chapters, 54 through 66, he mentions the servant 11 times, so 31 times all total in that section. And those 11 times, it's always in the plural. Now, Isaiah, as he talks about this servant, some of the times he's referring to the nation of Israel itself. He's talking about his chosen people, his servant Israel, the people of Israel. But then he picks up on that theme that was back there in Genesis chapter 3, the he, the coming head crusher, the world blesser, the coming king. And he refers to that he as the servant of the Lord, the beloved servant of the Lord, the Messiah. So crucial was this unfolding, this idea of the, the theme of the servant of the Lord, this coming one, that Isaiah wrote four songs that are put in his, in his book. I'm not sure. Isaiah wrote over 60 years, a span of 60 years. Not sure when he wrote these songs and how he collected them. But there are four, at least four songs that are called the servant songs or the songs of the servant. We looked at one of those last week in uh, chapter 42. In chapter 40, in fact, just real quickly, take your Bibles to uh, Isaiah chapter 42. The first song is Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. But um, let me just read the first four verses. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And he will not cry out or raise his voice or make 
his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. And it goes on. This We talked about this last week. This servant is coming. Humble, gentle, with no fanfare. And he's going to be compassionate to people. Now, jump over to chapter 49, the second song. Chapter 49, verse 1. 1 through 13. But let me just um, go to verse 5. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. So this is a situation where the servant here is clearly distinguished from the servant called Israel because this singular person, servant, is going to be responsible to bring Israel to himself, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. Verse 6 says, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve the, the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The third servant song, go over to chapter 50. Chapter 50. And uh, look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, verse 6. I gave my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard, and I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Verse 7, for the Lord God helps me, and therefore I am not disgraced, and therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Well, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. That's the third song of the servant. And then the fourth song is, it kind of all crescendos to this fourth song. It's probably the most well-known song of the servant. Uh, it starts in chapter 52. Look at... Uh, Verse 13, and again it begins like chapter 42 did. Behold, look, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance 
was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And thus he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the parched ground. And he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him And the song continues. Four songs of the servant. Now, Isaiah, of course, we know adds many other um, uh, key thoughts and and key little bits of information about this coming servant. Like we saw in um, chapter 7, verse 14, a virgin will be with child, will bear a son, and will call his name Emmanuel. Word that means God with us, or a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, which is found in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, or in chapter 11, the root of the stem of Jesse, the branch will spring up and bear fruit. All these little signs, Isaiah is talking to us about somebody who's coming, the head crusher, the world blesser of the tribe of Judah of the lineage of David, the servant of the Lord. But as Isaiah passes off the scene, the question still remains, who is it and when is it? The anticipation it builds throughout the Old Testament. But century after century, no one appeared. In fact, when the Old Testament closes, there's, what, about 400 years where no prophet spoke. Nothing is written. When, when Malachi writes his final word, God is silent for 400 years. And then, 700 years or so later, after Isaiah wrote about the servant, the arrival of the long-anticipated he, the servant, is proclaimed. And it's proclaimed in a most unusual way, is it not? When the angel Gabriel comes to a young, poor, virgin girl in an insignificant town of Nazareth, and Gabriel tells her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. This was the very same angel repeated that uh, to um, the man that was engaged to be married to Mary. And in Matthew chapter 1, we read this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 700 years after the fifth gospel was written, Isaiah, the angel begins to announce. And the very next verses of, of Matthew show this connection with Isaiah. Because it says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's the Isaiah prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7, verse 14, which is translated God with us. Now, I have no doubt, no doubt at all, that it was the book of Isaiah that time and time and time again, Jesus, maybe as a young man, in his teen years, in his 20s, as a young adult, as an adult. It was Isaiah that he went back to over and over and over again. When he began his public ministry, Luke records this in chapter 4, in the home synagogue, as he gets up, for the very first time as he launched his public ministry, what book did he open to? Isaiah. It was Isaiah. I have no doubt that the book of Isaiah and the servant songs were sung by Jesus many, many, many times. He was the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecies, which is why over and over again you see Jesus pointing always to his mission. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to die. And it was not some, some morbid premonition of death. He understood Isaiah. He was understanding his role as he studied Isaiah. So we read such things like in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Where did he get that? Isaiah. Or in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, he was teaching his disciples and saying, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise again. Or in Mark chapter 10, verse 33, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And this, and in fact, Luke says, he set his face like flint. That's right out of the book of Isaiah. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. It is being proclaimed. The book of Isaiah, the servant songs are being proclaimed. This is what Jesus said. This famous verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus knew he was fulfilling the servant songs, the unfolding story of redemption that for 60 years the prophet Isaiah had been proclaiming. Jesus knew he was the beloved servant of Isaiah chapter 42 and 49 and 50 and 52 and 53. The songs of Isaiah were his songs. And I have to believe that many times in the night, Jesus would rehearse the songs of Isaiah and to himself ponder the role of the suffering servant. The early church knew this, and they proclaimed the truth loudly. In the early days of the early church, it was this concept of the servant that distinguished Jesus above everything else. These were Jewish people, the followers of Jesus, the disciples. And as they begin to make that proclamation in Jerusalem in those early days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, he's identified as the servant. For instance, Acts chapter 3. Peter says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Or in verse 26 of chapter 3, for you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Continues chapter 4, verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. The servant, Jesus. Or verse 29 and 30 of chapter 4, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your right hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The Apostle Paul speaks of this. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took the form of a bondservant, a servant. The early church knew that Jesus was the servant of Isaiah's songs. And that's how they identified Jesus. He was the servant of of Isaiah. But one event I think stands out among all of them regarding Jesus' um, understanding and his celebration of his role as servant. It was at the Last Supper, the final Passover. And take your Bibles just quickly to I, uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. Jesus celebrates his role as the servant of Jehovah, the servant of the Lord. Verse 14, And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this uh, cup and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Um, 
Interesting words. Interesting words. There's great eagerness. I eagerly desire. I can't wait to share this last meal, this Passover meal, my last time with you. Why was Jesus so eager? Because he knew he was the suffering servant. He knew in a few short hours he was going to fulfill Isaiah 53. And that in fulfilling Isaiah 53, he would bring in the kingdom. He would become the reigning king. I eagerly, I fervently, I passionately desire to eat this meal with you. It's my last one. Because as I partake of it, he said, I'm fulfilling the servant songs of Isaiah, awaiting for the future time of the kingdom to come. Look at verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them, and he said, and here's, he, here Jesus departs from the typical liturgy of Passover, and shockingly he says, this is my body which is given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And, and he, then he took the cup after they had eaten, and he said, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. And he said, do this. And that comes right out of the first servant song of Isaiah 42, where it says in verse 6, I will appoint you, O servant, my servant, my beloved servant, I will appoint you as the covenant to the people. And now Jesus is saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant, but it's in my blood. I'm shedding my blood. I'm pouring my life out. I'm giving of myself for you. Where did Jesus come up with this? He had sung the songs of Isaiah. He sang the songs of Isaiah. He was the fulfillment of that. Now, jump down to verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money, a money belt and bag and sandals, did you not lack anything? You didn't lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also the bag and whoever has not a sword will sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you, verse 37, that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. For I tell you the truth, that this which is written has to be fulfilled in me. A direct quote from Isaiah chapter 53. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. And as Jesus partakes of that last Passover, eagerly in anticipation for the very last time, he partakes because he knows he is the fulfillment of of Isaiah's songs. That in his first coming, he was fulfilling a suffering servant role.
but he eagerly partook because he knew that after the suffering servant role, Isaiah had prophesied that he would take on the role of the reigning king. Of course, so certain was Isaiah as he prophesied about the coming reigning king. He was so certain because that's how his ministry began. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne in glory and majesty. Holy, holy, holy. And that risen Savior and that reigning Lord, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, Jesus knew that. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the, the shame. He celebrated the truth of the suffering servant. He embraced the role. Hebrews chapter 10, I've come to do thy will. In the role it's written of me, to do thy will. Isaiah's songs. He embraced the role of the suffering servant because he was going to be the reigning king. The world waited 700 years after Isaiah wrote his prophetic songs. 700 years. And he came as a suffering servant. And now we look back 2,000 years ago. We look back to that time that he came as a suffering servant. And when he was ascended into glory after his resurrection, and the Disciples are standing there looking up as Jesus ascends. The angel came and said, why are you looking up? The same Jesus is going to come back. Just like he ascended, he's going to descend. And he will come back as the reigning king. And we celebrate that. In just a few moments, Les is going to come and lead us in our communion service because Jesus said we are to do this, to remember him. What are we to remember? We're to remember that he was the suffering servant, that he sang the songs of Isaiah, and he went to that cross, he set his, his face like flint, and he died for us to bear our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. And as we partake this morning, will, will, will we partake with gratitude? Will we engage our minds? Will we engage our hearts? Because the suffering servant of Isaiah has come. And there's not a person in this room who was worthy to come and stand before a holy God. So he did it for us. He died for us, the suffering servant, but he's coming again. And he's going to come as the conquering king. Do you know him as your personal savior? Do you know him? He died for you. He paid the penalty for you. He rose again to honor his father, to be obedient to the call. And he's coming again. But he offers you the free gift of eternal life. Free gift. And when we transfer our trust off of ourselves onto Christ and Christ alone, that free gift becomes our wonderful possession forever. It was a glorious day when he hung on that cross because he was fulfilling the suffering servant role. And that's going to be a glorious day when he comes again as the reigning king.
Would you bow your head, please? So, Father, we commit this time into your hands as we continue our worship, as we continue to, to honor you. Father, may you be pleased by what we offer you as we remember what you have offered us. So, Father, um, we, we just say thank you for loving us enough to send the suffering servant to pay for our sins. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.